lights up for you. We'll be in Matthew 21. So for those of you who thought we were going to Mark, uh, fooled you. We're going we're gonna to hit pause on that series for t- uh, tonight and for next week. As you're headed there uh, in Matthew 21, I'll make you aware of a couple of things that are, that are going on right now as we get to the end of Lent. Uh, one is that uh, yesterday, we had a heck of an Easter egg hunt yesterday, am I right? Man, that was, that was uh, some phenomenal weather and some really great planning and execution by our kids' ministry teams and our deacons, and everything about it was so wonderful. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who, uh, who stuffed eggs, who went to Sam's or Costco or wherever that we buy things in bulk nowadays, and who came early and set up and stayed late and cleaned up, and for everyone who came out and helped us get all those eggs uh, safely home with you. Uh, Thank you for that. We obviously have a blood drive going on as a part of Lent, and so that'll be available afterwards when we're done here tonight as well. And so I would encourage you to participate in that. I mean, what what better way to celebrate Lent than to literally give blood so other people can live? I think it's an amazing picture. Uh, During this this week, so there's, there's Palm Sunday and then each day this week, there are things that we are able to piece together from the Gospels that help us see what Jesus' last week uh, on earth was like in terms of last week before uh, you know, dying and raising from the dead. And so we're able to piece that stuff together. And so this week on, on Instagram, we'll kind of uh, be able to, to let you know, hey, this is what happened on Monday, and this is what happened on Tuesday, and we'll piece some of those things together. But also, Grace is hosting some uh, midday uh, gatherings in the fellowship hall where there will be like a song or two and then there's a different pastor from around town that will will just get up and just say a few words about uh, Holy Week and what that day involves. Um, That'll be at noon, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in the fellowship hall. Uh, Thursday night there's a service at First Prez uh, downtown and their pastor will be doing one of the midday ones here this week. And then a pastor from Christ Covenant and a pastor from somewhere else. I can't remember. Uh, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in this fellowship hall at noon, there will not be a meal provided. Uh, many people are fasting during Holy Week, and so uh, there will not be a meal that's served. It will last about 45 minutes, but if you want to bring your own lunch, that's cool. So if you have a lunch break in there. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday here, Thursday at First Press, Good Friday here, and... The way that that's going to work is the way that it has the last couple of years where there's about an hour of a self-led time of prayer and scripture reading and reflection. So when you, when you come in through the foyer, there'll be like a music stand there with some like optional reading things. If, like if you want something to guide you along, uh, but you might, like, you might not want something to guide you. You might just want to sit here in the stillness you know, and in the solitude for that, that time. And so... It's like an hour of that, and then there'll be a, a maybe 30-minute worship service that will happen as the sun sets on Friday, uh, signifying the light of the world going out. And so that will be here. And then on Saturday night, Grace is hosting a, just a, only music that night on Saturday night at 6. And then Easter Sunday, we have uh, our gathering 
uh, at 5 o'clock. We will be doing baptism, and so if that's something that you've been feeling led to, then you need to let me know that. So basically every day between now and next Sunday, there's something going on. So tonight, an email will go out with all that information in it. Okay, so be sure, be sure and check your email for some details on that. And then we'll be posting a lot this week reminding, reminding you of the, of the different things that are happening. And maybe you can participate in some of those. I'd love to see you there for that. So, but Palm Sunday kind of kicks all that stuff off. And um, you know, Palm Sunday is one of those, one of those days where uh, it's supposed to be a really exciting day in the life of the church. We're about to have a really dark week ahead. And it's supposed to be dark. It's supposed to get heavy. Um, that's a part of what Lent is doing. Is It's supposed to be preparing us for the weight of the next few days. But the Sunday before all that happened, that was a different story. It was, uh, it was a necessary step. It was an important step. Uh, but it had a very different tone and color to it. And so, you know, the last several weeks, uh, I've been preaching out of a, kind of a certain format about looking at what God wants to what he wants us to know and do based on the scriptures. But tonight I want to take a different approach. I want, to, I want to approach this sermon the way that I would have gotten in trouble for in seminary because it's, you're not supposed to preach this way. Um, I really want to bring to you this concept that I couldn't get away from. This is like a personal, like a, almost like a devotional uh, sharing of uh, something that I believe is important for us to keep in mind that comes from this. Uh, and a lot of it centers around like the, the imagery of, of Jesus riding into town. You know, Jesus being on the back of this donkey coming into town. I don't know if you're a, a visual person, but uh, when I was a kid, I don't know if any of you read uh, like A Swiftly Tilting Planet when you were young, or like The Never Ending Story, or like those kind of things. And those were some of the first books I really like, grabbed onto. And uh, I've always gotten in trouble my whole life in school because I was such a slow reader. And for me, it wasn't a slow reader in terms of like, uh, like it wasn't about comprehension. It was because I was always trying to tie my imagination into what I was reading. And so if I would read a paragraph that was really descriptive, then I would like get lost daydreaming about what that would look like. And if there was a character, like all the characters in my imagination had faces and voices and tones, you know, and stuff. And, like, I could envision all of it. And I was just, like, always, like, I just, and that's a lot of why I don't like to read today, honestly, is because I get so bogged down in that that it's frustrating. I'm like, I just read a page, and I started four hours ago. I don't understand. But it's because that, that imagery was always very important to me. And, um, I mean, I, when I read The Great Gatsby, it literally took me six years to read it because it's so full of awesome descriptions. And so, this, this is one of those times where I think it's important for us to be able to envision what's going on. As a Baptist kid that grew up, I, I loved the, the cheesy artwork that accompanied every Sunday school lesson. You know, like they would put up a poster and it would be like, like this, like, you know, Jesus, who was always white, you know, and he always looked like Travis Tritt. And he was always like <laughs> up there on the poster doing, you know, carrying a lamb, you know, or something. But that was so helpful for me. I'm like, yes, now I know what he looks like. And then I got older and said, nope, he doesn't look like that, you know. But it was always helpful for me to envision Jericho or Goliath and versus David and those kinds of things. So here's one that maybe, maybe we can, can let the imagery capture us because I think it's imp- important. And I'll tell you why. Let me read it. It's Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, uh, or like, you know, it's like their, their robes or their coats and stuff. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And, and the crowds that went before him and that, and that followed him were all shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, so here's where the, here's where the kind of devotional idea comes from. As I believe that on, on this side of, of all of these events, and having, like having a Bible in our hands, you know, I think that we are able to pull together. This is one of those moments where the past and the present and the future can kind of all be pulled into one thing. I've talked about that before with communion and, and even with baptism, how, how it's like a moment where, uh, where like all of linear time kind of gets, gets just pulled into this one moment. And I believe that this can happen in the triumphal entry as well. So past, present, future, how do, what does that have to do with it? Well, past... Uh, it, we're talking about a prophetic word here. Uh, verses 4 and 5 are quoting uh, Zechariah 9.9. 9. And so this, this would have been a prophecy that they held on to I mean, for hundreds of years. Like everyone, everyone would have known this passage. Everyone would have had this image in their mind from, from the verses that they were, were believing of like this is going to be descriptive of, of the Redeemer of the rescuer that God is going to send to us, of this Messiah who's going, who's going to, to rescue the Jews from, uh, from, from what? Well, we know now that it was from bondage to sin and death. They thought it was bondage to Rome and uh, the, like the political powers that be. And so, you know, we would differ on that point. But, but they would have known these verses. Let me, let me read four again. Four and five. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, which, which means that Jesus like, knew what he was doing. Like, this was an intentional move by him. That's why he was like, Go, go ahead of you. You're going to find a donkey and a, and, a, um, you know, and a little donkey, and you're going to bring them to me, and uh, it's going to be fine. If anyone messes with you, it's what you tell them. So Jesus was like, This didn't just magically happen. Jesus like, manipulated the situation. Because he needed to trigger in the minds of them as this is happening. They're like, wait a minute, this is a Bible verse. Like, we're, we're watching this happen. This is, this is the promise. My grandma told me about this was going to happen. My, my dad wept over this happening one day. And I'm looking at it. Like, this is legitimately happening right before my eyes. So verse 5, this is the, the prophecy. Say to the, daughter, to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So what stands out there, were, well, one is that the king is coming to him. Like your king is not going to, to remain, you know, uh, in the capital city, in his palace or whatever, and just hand down mandates. He's, he's going to physically come to you. So he's coming to you, but it says that he's humble, right? There's, there's, a, there's a certain humility that was, that was not normal for royalty, and he's, he's going to come in, he's going to be on a donkey. And it says, the foal of a beast of burden. Well, donkeys were, those were like work animals. So what we're seeing is, a king is coming to us, and he's humble, and he's ready to work. Like he's coming here to do something among us. And so they are able to reference the past in, in this imagery it's triggering all these things that they know, and they're like, wow, this is really happening. Like, he's coming to us, and look at his humility. He's on a, a donkey, just like he said he would. And what is he here to do? He's here to do work. Like, there's something to be done, and, and that work in their minds was to, like, transform and restore Israel to this, you know, political, military power, or whatever. But we pull that past into this moment. And so we see the, them reacting in the present, and that's a part of what's going on, is they're bringing the past in this moment. And so they begin to react. And so what does their reaction look like? Well, Jesus, he's like announcing his royal identity, is what he's doing. And when you look at the response of the people, it says, it says a, a lot of interesting things to me. Um, verse 8, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So this is something that only, like, only royalty got this kind of treatment. And I know that, that for us, you know, we don't live in a monarchy or you know, we don't really understand a lot of like, king, king and queen type of government and the response to that. But uh, you know, we've, all, we've all read books and seen movies where this happens. And um, I don't know if this is appropriate, but what I kept thinking the whole time was uh, coming to America... And I've only seen the TBS version, so I can't really vouch for the... Uh, original, so you might come up to me later and say, that's the filthiest movie ever made, and I'll have to re- retract this. But I've seen the TBS one, and I know that the, that the whole scope of the story is that uh, you have this, you have Eddie Murphy, who's a prince in this like kind of like obscure country in Africa, and he wants to find love for himself. So he wants someone who will marry him for him, and not be- just because they want to be a- the next queen. So he leaves... Africa and comes to Queens, New York, because that's where you go to find a queen, right? That's his actual logic, and he, uh, like, basically, like, completely, like, changes his lifestyle, and he's trying to live real, like, real chill under the radar, and he goes to a Knicks game, I think, I think it was, and he's, like, going to the, like, headed toward the bathroom, and someone there recognizes him because he's from that country, and do you remember, like, the dude, like, freaks out and causes this big scene, drops what he's doing, like, drops to the ground, and and begins to bow to him and like totally blows his cover, you know. And, and, and Eddie Murphy's like, no, 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 don't, you know, trying to like play it cool, play it cool. And this dude is just losing it because he's in the presence of royalty. And when, uh, so James Earl Jones is the king. And so when he comes to find his son, you might remember this or you might not. Maybe it's just my weird memory. But uh, everywhere he goes, he has people going ahead of him and they're throwing rose petals 
so that he only walks on the rose petals everywhere that he goes. And then after he leaves somewhere, uh, there's like this comment of like, who's going to clean all these roses up, you know? And, and so that's like this royal treatment thing. And I know it's just a movie and it's probably a dumb reference and whatever. But there is, there is something that, that is special when you're in the presence of, that, like, of a significant office like that. I mean, when the, when the president goes into a room, everyone stands. And they may not agree with him or like him, but they, they're respecting the office that's there. When, the, when ranking officers and stuff in the military come in and they, the, the soldiers stand at attention, there's like a response that comes with the respect of being in the presence of royalty. And so what they're doing here as they are laying their cloaks on the ground, this is only what happened when a king would come in. As they would say, our, our king is not going to come in on the normal roads that we walk on. You know, There's this act of humility of saying, no, I want him to walk on my coat. And so everyone's putting their coats out. To pave the way. It's, it's the equivalent of, of them putting those rose petals in front of the king and coming to America. Or maybe rolling out that special, whatever you call it, at a wedding. Or whatever it might be. That there's some sort of like, hey, this, this is not a normal person. We're in the presence of someone special. This is royalty. And so they begin to put their cloaks on the ground to show him, hey, we know who you are. And I couldn't get away from that. Hey, we, we, we recognize what's going on here. And even though we read verses in Isaiah 53 that was like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't even consider it. They, they hid their faces from him. Like they don't, yeah, but in this moment, though, they recognized the significance of what was happening. And their response was, how do we, how do we show him? How do we tend to him? How do, we, how do we convey the respect and the adoration and the gratitude that's in our hearts? Well, for them, it was, let me take my coat off and help pave the way. Let's cut these branches off of these trees nearby. And let's lay them on the road. And that is symbolic of like Jewish like national victory. And so they're laying them on the road and they're waving them in the air and they're, just, they're, they're yelling to him. They're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Like they're, they're losing their minds because something special is happening here. And they see it and they recognize it. And it says that the whole city was stirred up. Verse 10, when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Like they were, everyone is wondering what's going on, what's going on. And they're, and they're sharing and they're telling each other. And there's this big, I don't know, stir that's happening. And, and so that's like the present, right? Like there's this, it's pulling it into, like the past is triggering them in the present. And that's their response to him. And they're just losing their minds. Everything is amazing. But they were, they were, like in linear time. They were in that moment. They didn't know anything else. And here's where maybe the devotional part kicks in for me. Is I, I couldn't get away from this, this fact that, like, man, when I'm envisioning Jesus riding an animal, there's another place in the Bible where it talks about this. That they were pulling the past into that present moment, but we are able to pull the future into a moment as well. And if you want to turn to Revelation 19, you can, but I'm going to read it to you. It's not the only time we see Jesus riding an animal. This is Revelation 19, verse 11. 
Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which means crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So is it possible for us in where, where we are, like having the entire council of Scripture in front of us, is it possible for us to pull the, pro- the prophecy from Zechariah and the uh, prophecy of Revelation 19 into a moment when we read the triumphal entry and we're able to see the power and the magnitude of what is happening? Maybe, maybe let's look at Revelation 19 a little slower. Maybe that'll help. So it says, verse 11, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Okay, so last time it was a donkey. And now it's a horse. Now what does a white horse mean? Well, a white horse, uh, well, first of all, horses were, um, were not commonplace. Donkeys were commonplace. Horses were for military purposes. And a white horse is what a victorious warrior king, military general, rode in after winning a battle. So to look forward and to see a white horse is a significant detail. They're not just pretty. It means something. So the first time it was a donkey meant for work. Now it's a white horse symbolizing victorious, a victorious warrior king. Then it says the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. So we know that to be Jesus, that he is the one who keeps his promises. He is the one who brings truth to his people. And the imagery of him riding in on a white horse should give us pause. And that is his name, faithful and true. That's what they call him. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now that sounds kind of intense, but what we're essentially saying is that the, the future story involves justice winning. Like the holiness and goodness and power of God was going to win. As crazy as our world gets and as uncertain as things are, there is a certainty that we can rest in. In the midst, you know, we can, we can feel multiple things at once, Right? So we can feel concern about global events or local events or whatever. And at the same time, we can rest easy knowing that in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. Okay, that whole sentence is a mystery and I'm not going to pretend to be able to unpack that for us. But it's cool, right? I'm going to keep going. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. 
Whose blood, you think? His, his own. He's going to shed that blood on Friday. Like in real time, we're going like to come into that reality. And so it's his own blood that he has shed. And it says, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. That's how we know this is Jesus. It's in John chapter 1. He's the Logos. He's the Word of God. He's the, the pre-existent creator of all things. The one who, who holds everything together. This is the one on the white horse. This is the one with all of the crowns. This is the one in righteousness carrying things out. This is the one in a robe that's been dipped in his own blood. It is him. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Who do you think that is? That is us. We are the armies of heaven. We are the ones arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. And guess what we get to ride on? Not donkeys. White horses. Why do you think that is? It's because our warrior king, who said, I'm on a white horse, and you're mine, so guess what? You get a white horse? You get a white horse? You get a white horse? Everybody gets a white horse. But that's the future for us. Like, that's... That's a part of like our inheritance is this like victorious future that we are a part of. Because our generous king has said, I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for us, because that's what love does. And so the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Keep remember following him. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them. With a rod of, of iron. That sounds really, that's, that's another one of those like prophetic things that, that we aren't sure of what, what it means down the road. But we know that he is going to get things done. That the, the leaders of the world, the armies of the world, the powers that be, the, the forces of darkness and evil and, and humanity and whatever you want to think of it. That all of those things, Jesus is still far above them. And evil will not win. Jesus invites us into his kingdom, into his life, into everything that is real and true. And a part of what he tells us is, look, that stuff is, that stuff is real. Like those things are, they're their forces, but they're not greater than I. It says he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. I mean, that's an intense statement. You, know, you hear wrath, you hear anger. Wrath is not this, it's not emotional. Wrath is just what happens. Light is wrathful against darkness when light comes on. It's just, it, by nature, it eliminates it. That His holiness just eliminates all evil and all sin. So he's like restraining a little bit at this point to not just destroy everything that is sinful because he loves it. And so at some point, his holiness is going to be able to like just be on full display. And because we will be holy at that point without any sort of uh, like... Uh, sinful brokenness that we're carrying and all that kind of stuff that we'll be able to live with him forever. And so when we hear wrath, we can't hear like, oh, he's super angry here. He's wrathful in the same way that a, that a parent is wrathful against, against uh, something that's threatening their child, you know? Like it's, it's a loving response. It's this natural thing that happens. It's not, uh, it's not vengeful and it's not weird. It's not something to be feel, feared unless you are evil in darkness. And then it says, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, 
which might be an endorsement for tattoos. I'm just going to leave that with you. Um, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That at the end of the priestly blessing, when it's, he says, you speak this over my people and I, I'll put my name on them. And Jesus also has his name on him. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So, go back to the triumphal entry. Jesus gets on a donkey and is riding into town. And the people are singing or screaming or whatever they're doing. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, to the Son of David, to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying down their coats and they're waving palm branches and they're laying them down and they're showing him. They're saying, we, we get it. We know who you are. Can we pull the past and the future into that present bit of imagery? And can we be the people who say, yeah, this is when he's riding on a donkey because he's humble and he's come to his people to do work. And there's a pathway that goes, this might be a little cheesy, just bear with me. There's a pathway that goes from him on a donkey to him on a horse. And the, the road goes through the cross. That's what he has to do. That's the work he's come to do. And the other side of that is this victorious reigning and ruling with his people forever. And what does Jesus say to do? He says, well, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In Revelation 19, he's on a horse and the armies of heaven are following after him. So could it be that there's always a following of Jesus that happens? And he rode a donkey toward the cross. And maybe you and I have other things that we are following him to our own crosses, you know? Like, are there our own things that are between us and whatever he has for us in heaven? Like, there are things that he is calling us to walk through and to deal with and to handle and to people to serve and people to love and situations to tackle and ways to use our gifts. And there's all these things that he has in front of us, and they also are what we go through. Knowing what our, what our inheritance is, knowing what our future is, knowing that this is a temporary life. We prayed for healing last week, and a part of the idea was acknowledging this is, the temp- this is temporary. We want to be healed, but you know, every person Jesus ever healed, they eventually died. You know? And so you and I, like we, we are able to follow him into, our, into this future that he has for us. And so when we pull that into this, this imagery and we're envisioning this of Jesus riding in, we have so much more information than they did. They're like, yes, our military general is here. Yes, we're going to conquer Rome. And you and me can sit here and be like, Satan is going down. The darkness will not win. No matter what happens to me, you can't harm me. That there's a white horse on the other side of my obedience. And it's secure and it's there. And the one who will lead me there just says, just follow me. Just do like me. Be like me. So what am, what am I supposed to do? I, I keep thinking about what it was, may have been like if you're on the road and you see him coming toward you, you know. And what my own versions of like taking that cloak off and laying it down look like. 
Like, it's an act of humility, but it's also, like, I wonder if a part of that was, like, I want him to see me do this. Like, I want him to know, not to get the credit, but, like, I want him to know, hey, dude, I know who you are. I get it. I'm with you. I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to wave this branch. I'm going to yell at you, Hosanna, I know who you are. And as he continues to go, do we maybe just keep following him, you know? Like, could that imagery grab a hold of us deeply? Could it continue to, to help us with perspective in how to be friends and spouses and parents and how to manage money and time and possessions and, and how, to, how to be employers or employees or, or how, to, how, to be, how to live in this community and how to bring the kingdom near? Can, can all of this, we pull all of this together in a way that helps us be like, okay, yeah, no, I, I, I am reminded of what is most important here. But there's nothing more important than Jesus in my life. That my king has come for me. He came humble, mounted on a donkey, ready, ready to do work. He went through the cross, and now he has emerged victorious on a white horse. King of kings, Lord of Lords. And he's just saying, no, just, just follow me in the same ways. Just follow me in the same ways. So when I think about those things, I, I can kind of get to where I'm like, okay, I, I, think I, I think I know what the triumphal entry looks like. like. I think I know what that's supposed to speak to deeply for me. And I hope that, that maybe either, either now in these moments or maybe thinking about it later in some sort of processing that you can kind of think what does the triumphal entry have to do with you? Like, what is that imagery? How can you pull the past, present, and future into this moment and, in order to know what God has for you? And how can that help with Monday of Holy Week and Tuesday of Holy Week? And can we go through this week really focused and really blessed? Well, I hope so. I hope it's encouraging, and I hope that, that this imagery is not lost on us. And when we take communion in a second, you know, when you tear the bread and you dip that bread in the, in the juice, it's the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. And, and when all that begins to come together for us, maybe the triumphal entry will be, won't just be a story that we read, but it's like, no, we, we participate in that. You know? And in fact, we're gonna, we're, it's going to get a little loud in here, musically, you know, that there are times I think when communion needs to be very subtle and very chill. This is going to be maybe a little bit more loud, and maybe it's supposed to be. You know, maybe, maybe us being excited about our king is something we need to continue to grab onto. Um, so let's stand together. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't know who's serving communion tonight, but I hope that someone uh, comes forward and does it. Uh, but we're going to sing, and we're going to respond, and we're going to let the Lord uh, use communion and use us praying and use us singing to kind of build everything together, okay? So, let's close our eyes. Uh, all right, it's Meg. All right, so, mystery solved. Um, let's just close our eyes and let's just think about what we're about to do. And maybe let's get that imagery in our, in our heads a little bit of uh, Jesus riding into town. And maybe let's see if the past and the present and the future can come together.